You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the all-new Razor Guide Pack from Outdoor Edge has it all. Coming in at only 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I have got a chiropractor, an all-around outdoor enthusiast, and just a great guest. I'm really excited about this. Dr. Will Bartlett is joining me on today's show. We're going to be talking all about his outdoor adventures up in Maine, what that looks like, how he got into hunting, all the different opportunities it offers. Because every time I talk to somebody from up there, they just... They can't stop telling me how amazing of a place it is, and it's a place that I definitely have to get out and check out. Now, before we jump into the episode, I've got to let you know, I just did my first hunt on my own property, and I say just. It was this morning, so several hours ago, I went and made a sit for coyotes. We had actually gone, a couple friends of mine and I went to a different chunk of land just down the street where I've hunted for years. And we had a coyote just going nuts right in front of us, but before we could actually see. And right now, we're not using thermals or anything like that. So it was too dark. We never ended up seeing it. Came back to my place, and I was getting ready to take my kids to school. We had, like, this dudes and donuts day. It was really exciting. And uh, I was like, man, I can make maybe one more sit. We get back to my house, and I start glassing, and there's a giant white coyote i'm talking like the lightest colored coyote i've ever seen actually i take that back i saw a big white one years ago on another property tried to hunt it multiple times actually got shot opportunities at it and never connected i don't know what it was we called it the ghost it was just so elusive anyways we ended up calling this coyote in my buddy got a shot at it we had three other coyotes that were kind of working way out in the distance and nothing so i don't know what happened to it i know he hit it we couldn't find it and it was kind of a bummer but at the same time it was amazing to get out on my own property with a gun with a call it was a lot of fun so more stories like that to come hopefully found a big buck rub yesterday gonna put some trail cameras out man it's just so exciting actually owning your own chunk of land I don't say all of that to take away from today's episode because today's episode is amazing in and of itself, but I just got to keep you guys updated on what's going on in everyday life. So without chatting more, let's jump into today's episode. 
like he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And joining me on the show today, I have got another guest. It's been a while since I've had a guest from Maine, but Dr. Will Bartlett, he is from Maine, born and raised, has a ton of uh, hunting and fishing experience up there. And even just talking for a few minutes before the show, uh, I think this is going to be a good one because he seems like the type of guy who likes to branch out into every type of outdoor adventure. Um, So, Will, thanks for hopping on the show. Thanks a lot, Dan. Uh, why don't you share with the listeners a little bit about yourself, maybe what what you do in the outdoor space. I know there's probably too much to cover all in this intro, but we'll uh, dive more into some of it. Um, what what do you like to do out there in Maine? Uh, in Maine, man, we like to, I like to just use all four seasons for what they're worth. You know, um, one of the reasons why I moved back here and, and love Maine, um, and always have is just the change of the seasons. And, uh, I'll probably say that winter is pro- is my favorite season. And that makes a lot of people cringe, but there's just, um, all the other things that you can't, can't do in the summertime, you can do in the wintertime. So every yeah. season is a new hunting season, fishing season, reason to get outside. And I think, um, they all are, are, are great in their own way, but I love being out there out in the woods in the wintertime, especially, man. So using all the seasons and, and taking it for what it's worth. Yeah. The, the wintertime. Yeah. I feel like we're from we're from like a small subset of people who enjoy the cold. People think we're crazy for it, but yeah, there's something about it. I mean, being out there and watching everything kind of restart, I feel like, you know, you, you have the thick foliage, you, uh, all spring, all summer, a good chunk of the fall. And there's a lot of activity, a lot of moving around, but in the winter, you kind of experience a totally different landscape as soon as the deep winter hits. And absolutely for me, it's magical. You put me out there in 20 below, if I've got the right clothing, the right, right gear, I'm I'm golden, man. I'd rather be out there and like have to layer up and have to figure that out than I tell my wife, I'm like, I can only take so many clothes off before it's illegal. Uh, you, you can always layer up even more. So that's uh, right. That's man. Yeah, that's right. There's no bad weather. There's just bad preparation and not enough, not the right gear. Yeah, for real. That's I mean, so. it, that couldn't be any more true. Um, so growing up in Maine, when did you kind of start exploring the outdoors or figuring out these different hunting and fishing opportunities? Was that something that you just grew up with in your family? Um, not really, man, not per se. Um, I'm an adult onset hunter, I guess you would call it. Um, I didn't develop an interest into hunting until pretty recently, um, we can go more into that if you like, but as a growing up here as a kid, I mean, I fished, but I wasn't in like a super gun ho outdoor family. I played sports and, and had a lot of fun. We would go on hikes and stuff in the summertime. So being outside was a regular occurrence, but, um, really like being hardcore fishing, hunting, um, every different season was not, uh, not in the repertoire growing up, but I did have some family members that were hunters, but my dad and my parents were not. So, okay. um, that's just not something that I really learned and, and developed an interest until, 
four or five years ago. Okay. What, what was it that kind of sparked your interest in it or what made you want to start doing more of this stuff? Yeah, it's, I was, uh, oddly enough going to chiropractic school in Southern California. Um, and, uh, it's, it, it's kind of strange, but living in the concrete wasteland of SoCal and the city, um, and I, and I knew going out there, I was never going to like love it or, uh, want to be there for the rest of my life. I kind of went out there to go to school and, and for my profession, but, um, being out there, uh, uh, helped me fall in love and really appreciate what Maine always had to offer. So it was being out there away from nature, away from, uh, kind of the outdoors and the woods and, and, and opportunities that I'm, that I have now living in Maine that really, um, kind of sparked that interest, believe it or not. No, that makes sense, man. I, I can feel that when, when I go to big cities, I mean, we're not from a big city. They call it like a really big, small town or a really small city, uh, here in Springfield. And when I would travel different places, I mean, going up to Kansas city, going up to New York city, it just felt different. You know, like you felt disconnected from the natural world almost altogether. And it's crazy being in New York, you see how many people crave that and desire it because you go to central park and it's just loaded all the time yeah. and people just have yeah. to have that connection with nature yeah. and i don't think a lot of people could put it to words why but there's just something inside each of us that that yearns for that that longs for it and yeah i just couldn't do a big city we just moved out to the country yesterday and i'm like in heaven every time i pull yeah. up i'm looking at the land and i'm like what all can happen on this land I see rabbits yeah. running around, just yeah. walking around like the kids, getting them outside. There's there's going to be so many benefits to it, and we'll we'll talk about a lot of that here in this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What uh, what season are you in? I guess right now. I mean, it's dead of winter, so I would yeah, imagine the... most of the seasons are over, but probably fishing and trapping, maybe ice fishing. Yep. So right now, just uh, statewide. Um, bobcat season is right up is coming right up if it's not open already we're okay just we're just got into february i know bob uh, i think the beginning of february maybe the tail end of Jan- january i'm not sure um bobcat season when you can hunt them with with dogs um which is really oh, cool sweet. um so that's happening right now um obviously hard water fishing ice fishing right now which is probably the most widely uh uh participated season at the moment that at the moment um and then you can trap beavers all of our other fur animals are over at the end of december but then beavers stick around until i think it's mid-april you can trap beavers okay but you won't see a lot of people trapping beavers right now just because the ice is so thick yeah so you either see people trapping beavers typically like earlier season or like come march and april when the ice is a lot thinner and it's a little bit easier to get out there Yeah, I can only imagine. I mean, you guys are so far north. The ice there has to be just insanely thick. Well, you say that, man, but we've had a real lackluster winter so far and uh, real mild uh, kind of, yeah, just mild, not a lot of snow winter so far, especially down south here. Um, So ice fishing and and hard water fishing has been extremely iffy up until the last week or two. Yeah. Extremely, man. We've had, uh, like March weather 
through January and just have not had that cold snap that gives you like, you know, two, two inches of ice overnight. Yeah. Um, until this weekend, we're going to have a couple, we have like a 15, 20 below couple weekend coming up. And so everyone's kind of like stoked about that at the moment to just kind of like harden up everything that has been iffy so far. So we should be good after for the rest of the season, but it's already, you know, February, man. Yeah. The, so. it, it's awesome to see people who aren't from like an ice fishing community or d- aren't even used to seeing ice frozen lakes yeah. or rivers. It's uh, a weird thing, dude. It is. It's super odd. And I didn't think it was odd because I grew up doing it. You know, like they'd pull yeah. semis out on the ice, unload right? snowmobiles and have snowmobile races out on the lakes. My wife, when she first found out about this, she was losing her mind. She's like, no, no, you're not going to walk out on that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely going to. And my mother-in-law was like, if you ever take my daughter out on the ice, I will kill you. And I'm like, hey, listen we're not going out on like a thin sheet of ice. And then I say that this year we went up for deer season in November to Wisconsin. We pull into my mom's home hometown. There's no ice on the water. The next morning there was ice and there were ice shacks out and people ice fishing. And my wife is like, that was just open water yesterday. I'm like, yeah, see, I wouldn't do that. Like I would make sure it's plenty thick But yeah, you see people even just out on chunks on the, on the bank and they'll be fishing ice and there's open water on the far side. Wow. And I'm not that guy, but I definitely like to ice fish. Yeah. 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 It's cool. I was out there. I was out there two nights ago with a buddy, um, cusk fishing, which is basically freshwater cod. You catch them at night pretty much with dead bait on the bottom. It's a lot of fun, but to be out there at night in the winter time, you look pretty crazy. Yeah. I, there's just something about that community of it. You know, like I feel like the ice fishing community is closer knit than those guys ripping around on bass boats, yelling at each other, you know, like creeping up on each other's spots. Yeah, yeah. Some towns, I mean, they have whole festivals based off of ice. Oh fishing. yeah. Oh yeah. And, well, you're from Wisconsin, so you know, the derby life. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I want to, I want to go up and uh, do the sturgeon spearing at some point. They oh, do that every year. And that talk about a community. I mean, it's like, I don't know if you guys used to take your deer to check stations and like, you'd go look in the bed of trucks at other people's stuff. You'd be like, Oh, that's awesome, man. That's a huge deer. They do that for sturgeon. I mean, they have like hanging poles outside of restaurants. Everybody goes to these places and eats. They play polka music, uh, in your shacks and they give updates on who's caught what on the radio. (laughs) Like I love the community of hunting and that's what I try to, tell people about you know there's there's this culture now where it's like man get out do it on your own in the middle of nowhere by yourself that's fun for a little bit but i love the community behind hunting fishing and outdoor stuff and then being able to get family involved also yeah that's where a lot of the fun is it's just all camaraderie man that's one of the big reasons why we all do it oh yeah what uh what have you noticed so you were in orange county you realized the need for the outdoor space and then you started branching out and experiencing these different type of fishing and hunting opportunities. What has that done for you? I mean, what, what major benefits have you seen from that or what would you maybe, maybe pitch it to somebody who might be, you know, stuck in their one week a yeah. year, they go out deer hunting 
they're thinking about branching out and doing other things, but they haven't quite done it yet. What would you yeah. pitch to them? If they were, if they were looking forward all year to their one week of hunting or fishing and their one trip or two trips a year, I'd, I'd ask them why they're waiting to live their life that they want to live. First of all, you'd be surprised. One of the things that I learned was how much of an opportunity you have right in your back door, unless you're really in the city, but usually there's plenty of opportunities for you to have within an hour's drive, wherever you're living, you don't have to necessarily make a long journey somewhere. Um, so you can get outside and start doing things right now. Every, you know, every once, once a weekend, every weekend, you know, um, what I would say in a pitch though, is, is it generates a sense of community. Like you were talking about, you get, you acquire a lot of friends in your sense. You're just community grows with people that you value spending time with. And the, those people value doing the things that you value. Um, so that camaraderie aspect and, and, and the community aspect is just huge with, uh, especially in today's world, you know, people are locked in their home or working from home or desk jobs. They, they don't, they might talk to two or three people throughout a routine day. And um, we need that community in our lives, that interaction with other human beings um, for our health and everything. So, um, that would be one. And then the other would just be the lessons and fulfillment that you learned from uh, learning the skill set of being uh, outdoors man or woman, you know, um, learning how to track animals, learning how to catch them, getting on their frequency and figuring out what makes them tick. It's just one of the most fulfilling experiences. And you really just, uh, you really learn to appreciate the beauty of nature that way. And yeah. um, it just, increases increases your life your amount of life that you can live when you have that appreciation and that perspective i think yeah i think that being just being outdoors and being connected to nature on a deeper level does something to us and i mean as human beings we've always lived off the land it's been a fairly recent concept that you live indoors you never really see where your food comes from you're not participating in the harvest of your food and you do see a lot more people kind of getting back to that uh you know trying to trying to grow their own garden or like make their own gardens uh farm fresh eggs you see a lot of people you know the cage free free range food that they want to consume and when when you can actually be an active participant in the food chain and not just like the end user of it. It's, it does something to you. I don't, I wish I knew the exact stat or the quote, but I saw, I saw a study that was done and it was about being barefoot, being barefoot outdoors and actually having your feet make contact with the soil. And it's like some weird chemical thing that it does in your body and it changes it. And, you know, I might be butchering this a little bit, um, But in hearing about those studies, I'm like, man, there's something to it. And I've got friends that they literally, if they don't have to have shoes on, they're probably walking around barefoot all the time. And I look at it and I'm like, man, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a wuss. Like I take my shoes off and they're walking around and grapple. And I'm like, dang, this hurts. But uh, like, there's just something about being connected on a deeper level to nature. And 
the fact that that all sparked for you or you started realizing that coming from a city, that's awesome. And hopefully, hopefully listeners of this take that away, if nothing else. Yeah, you know, it, it, it all happened for me at the perfect time. I was really kind of coming into my own as um, and figuring out the type of clinician and, and, and um, teacher really as a doctor or teachers that I was going to be for my future patients and kind of figuring out um, the philosophy that I wanted to practice with. And so it was that kind of stage in my career early on in my career. And then perfect timing with that and where I was living and, and feeling like that disconnect, that deprivation. And then um, <laughs> I was on Netflix one weekend and I uh, a show called Mediator popped up and this was when it was like the fourth or fourth season. And so binge watch Steve Rinella and Mediator and then it just cascaded from there, you know, and yeah. then just the passion and the desire and the interest and um, the, uh, understanding of what it all kind of meant. Cause he's really good at portraying what that, what hunting really is, um, from a raw perspective. And, and it was just yeah. that perfect timing and, and kind of melding together at that time period in my life. And then it just had a huge impact on me and how I practice and, and kind of how I guide patients and, and, and to help so they can take control of their health. It's a big piece. Yeah, that's, that's cool. And I mean, meat eater, they have done such a phenomenal job. I'm glad of all the, yeah. the TV shows in the outdoor space that have taken off and have been elevated yeah. to a new level. It's been meat eater because they really do. They yeah. paint it in a great light. Yeah. They, they don't just highlight the kill shot. You know, it's the whole journey and what it means, not only for you, for your health, for conservation, right. for future generations, and then right. on top of that, they teach you how to make some pretty tasty meals. So yeah, um, they do to, to just, I mean, it really every single step of the whole process of a season, whether it's hunting or fishing, starting out with, um, you know, being on top of it, getting your dates lined up for, uh, applying for a tag. If you're hunting a state, that's a draw, um, to the preparation, getting all of your gear together, making sure it's in working order. Like there, I feel like there's mental and physical benefits from preparing for season to final consumption of the food. And, oh, absolutely. And I think there's a lot of people, really everybody could benefit from learning those lessons along the way and just doing one season, do one season. And if it's just like, I got absolutely nothing from this. Okay. Right. Call right. me a liar. Send me right. some hate mail on Instagram. That's but right. I'm telling you, 99.9% yeah. of people are going to take something great away from it. Yeah, exactly. You're, the intangible lessons that you learn along the way, aside from if you do or don't get to harvest an animal, is just uh, they're priceless, man. And that's what it's all about. And But you wouldn't know that unless you did it, you know? Oh, yeah. You have to get out there. You have to experience it. But those, those, those lessons are uh, they're priceless. Yeah. And even, even if it's not for a non-hunter, if it's for somebody who maybe has just kind of got stuck in the rut hunting the same thing over and over, like the nomadic outdoorsman, the whole reason I created this podcast was to share my adventures, but also to open people's eyes up to the different opportunities that are out there. Right. Because if you would have told 13 year old me, you know, two seasons into deer hunting, never actually 
harvested a deer at that point that one day I'd get super excited about frog gigging, like catching bullfrogs in nasty water in cattle ponds. I'd be like, what are you talking about? That is one of my favorite times of the year is frog season. And it's the camaraderie. It's you're staying up late. You're walking around these nasty cattle ponds, gigging frogs or catching them by hand or in a net or whatever. And I find myself every time I experience a new type of outdoor opportunity I just get hooked and my wife probably would like me to stop experiencing new ones because of how much time it takes. And there's always multiple seasons going on, but like mushroom hunting and canoeing, kayaking, cliff jumping. I mean, you name it. it, There's just so many fun things in the outdoors that people are missing out on and to have that open mind and say, Hey, try everything once you might find your new favorite hobby. Yeah. Yeah. And all that takes energy, man, just to get into one of those things at a time takes a lot of energy. It's a lot of exercise that's involved with those. There's a lot of things that are embedded within every season, every type of hunt, every, you know, foraging, whatever you're trying to get into. There's all these benefits that really bring us back to our roots as, as a species um, and really help people tap into their, their primal DNA. That is, um, being lost in an exceedingly fast pace. Yeah. The, the connection between people and nature and people in specifically pulling their food from nature, hunting, fishing, gathering, it's one of the longest standing things that we as a human species have ever done. Yeah. I I talk to people about that and people who are like, why, why do you love it so much? Why are you so passionate about it? Why do people get hooked on this and spend so much money on it? And I'm like, aside from reproducing, this is like our longest standing thing that we've done our hobby career. I mean, I don't know how you want to put it, but like we have done this as a human race longer than we've done anything else. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think it's, uh, there's something about, uh, putting a fishing pole in someone's hand and there's something about it when that rod bends or when there's weight on the under other end of that pole that literally triggers a like a genetic sequence in somebody it's embedded in our in our dna that i don't think there's a human being on the face of the planet that uh wouldn't have an increased heart rate holding a pole that all of a sudden had a weight at the end of it. Yep. You know, there's just something about that. There's something about hunting, following animals, being outside of nature that is just so deep in us that, uh, it's, it's, it's a really fulfilling experience. Yeah. And it's not very often. I mean, fishing is a great example because hunting, you know, you don't necessarily make contact with the animal while it's alive. You know, your arrow leaves your string. Uh, your bullet leaves your rifle or the shot leaves your shotgun with fishing. You actually get to encounter this animal while it's alive in its native habitat. And yeah, yeah. it all starts with that line, you know, the pole bending. And it's just like, Oh my gosh, I am connected now to a live animal. And there's something spiritual about it. I swear. Like if you could do, if they could just hook your body up to all of your, uh, nerve endings and sensory receptors and the chemicals, and they could just test all of that as you're out doing one of these activities. 
it would probably be pretty close to a hard narcotic, you know, <laughs> like something crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the yeah, amount of sure adrenaline would. in that rush. Yeah, it definitely would, man. You nailed it with that. It definitely would. That's why, you know, in, in fishing, but then that's why I love deer tracking too, man. I don't know. You've had other people from Maine on the podcast talk about, um, you know, following deer up north in the big woods and stuff. And I think that style of hunting is not very fruitful. It's super hard. It's, it's extremely physical. It's extremely low percentage as far as harvest percentage, but it is probably one of the most primal ways to hunt that, uh, that I know about, you know, tracking and following an animal until you get close enough to see it. Like that's, that's just, that's fun, man. That's just so much fun. That would be wild. I've, I mean, I've tracked animals before with zero success and it hasn't been like a large scale track. Like I'll follow them and be like, Hey, I'm going to get over this Ridge and see if I can see them. Oh no, I can't. Oh, well. Yeah. Um, that has got to be one of the most wild ways to hunt. That's what you got to come to Maine for Dan. That's what you have to come to Maine for. I'm going to do it. Is it our, our non-residents? Like, can I get a non-resident over the counter license for deer? Yep. Dude, I'm doing it this this winter. It's gonna happen yep. or this fall. Yep. The hardest part about it about it is you're weather dependent. It's the probably oh, yeah. one of the most weather dependent forms of hunting there is. I mean, tracking yep. unless you're unless you're a dry land tracker, which is you know another beast in itself. And there's people out there that do that. Um, that's not. I wish me. I had that skill. Yeah, um, but it's so weather dependent, man. But. Uh, when it happens it's just it's it's cool you get to see uh you get to see animals that would probably never be seen if you didn't have it you know big old smart bucks get big and old and smart for a reason and um, you just have a chance to catch up to to critters that would probably never be seen by a human being and it's a really cool thing All right, guys, if you've been listening to the podcast, I'm sure you've heard me talk about the helicopter hog hunt that I did down in Texas. Now I went down there with Rogue Texan Outfitters and Landon and Brandon, the owners, put us on the animals. We killed 150 pigs and 19 coyotes just from the air. On top of that, we went out thermal hunting at night and got up close and personal to more hogs. I didn't have to worry about bringing guns or ammunition because all of that was provided for me. And it is to this day the most action-packed day of hunting I've ever had. I stand by what I've said in the past, and that's that helicopter hog hunting is the funnest thing that you can do with pants on. In addition, they offer sandhill crane hunts and predator calling. So if you're looking for the most exciting hunt of your life and something that you're going to want to come back and do year after year, go check out roguetexan.com and book your hunt today. Yeah, the the amount that I would imagine you'd learn about all sorts of hunting by tracking after a fresh snow is probably yeah. you probably can't calculate it or, you know, yeah. really put it to words how much you're gonna learn if you're observant. You know, there's probably people who just put their head down and they follow the tracks. But if you're looking at the terrain uh features and changes that these animals are using to move from yeah. one spot to another, yeah. I'm sure yeah. there's a lot of consistency and things that you're finding that you know hey these bucks they like to come up and they like to bed on these knobs where their back is to the wind they're facing uh downhill so that they can see everything in front of them they can smell what's coming behind them they're i mean they're using the terrain in a really intelligent way and so to like 
to track and take note i mean i'd be i'd be documenting everything i'd have a journal yeah. where i'm just like oh, this right. buck did this this buck did this this yeah. went to cover here yeah it's funny you say that i'm a novice deer i'm a novice hunter probably i'm a novice hunter but a real novice deer whitetail tracker um but in the two seasons that i've been able to get on it you know get out there in the deer woods and track for probably a total of I'd say eight to 10 days on snow so far, like true tracking days, man, the amount of knowledge you one day on snow will probably teach you an entire season of dry, dry bare ground hunting Dang. as far as knowledge. And, and, and you think that you, like you said, you think you're okay. There's you look at the topography and they're going to, there's a good chance he's going to bed at the top of this knob with some old softwood with his back, you know, turned to the wind or up against a boulder. Like you said, being able to look down, look at his backtrack. And then my first day on snow this past season, and I think it was the second week in November, I got on a, uh, a pretty nice track and it just went straight up a mountain um, didn't stop or anything. And so I thought that I was a ways behind. Um, it was like nine o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning. So it's like deer's moving, like in his stride was really long. So it's like, I got a lot of ground to make up, yeah. showed no signs of feeding. They usually kind of zigzag in and out and start to feed. And then after they feed, they kind of bed down. Like some of those signs that you were talking about that I've just learned, um, from talking to people and, and being out in the woods, this deer went straight up a hardwood bowl going up a mountain and you could see like 150 yards through the hardwoods and did not deviate off course an inch. And then boom, I got to his bed Dang. and running tracks out of his bed. So like oh. this deer didn't do anything to show that he was going to bed down or feed or do absolutely anything, but just keep going over the ridge and three miles you know that's why i was going along so fast and um yeah i pop up on his bed and i was like you gotta be kidding me man oh no yeah that's <laughs> and a he never got man. caught to say the least so yeah are you so when you're when you're what do you call that type of hunting is there like a specific term for it deer tracking okay big woods hunting so so when you're deer tracking, are you doing it with a bow or with a rifle? Rifle. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I can only imagine like <laughs> the challenge of making, yeah. like being successful with a rifle is insane, yeah. but I, I can only imagine how much more difficult it would be to get within bow range. I don't know of anybody currently that tracks during rifle season, like in okay. November um, with a bow our statewide bow season is October and you can hunt in certain areas as early as like mid September with a bow. Um, but once November comes around and there's cold weather and there's chances of those like two, three, four or five inch snowstorms, pretty much everybody, um, especially up North, uh, in the big woods and the mountains and stuff, it's, it's a uh, gun season. So, okay. What Yeah. do you know, uh, have you researched at all the, success rates of that type of hunting i mean it's got to be it's got to be fairly low first you have to find the track i mean that's the first part right. of it right. and then to have it be a fresh enough track to actually put right. the time into and then right. to be able to cover the ground while it's yep. bedded or while it's feeding and you know not yeah not really suspicious of anything going on 
Yeah. In the Northeast, I mean, you probably know better than I do, Dan. The Northeast is, I believe, statistically speaking, the hardest place to hunt whitetails in the country. Um, the Northeast, uh, New England, Northeast being like Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and then upstate New York, you know, that Adirondacks you'd classify as that too. Um, and then the far, the more remote you get, the farther North and kind of into the mountains you get in in those various States, the harder it it even gets from there. Um, so I don't know the statistics particularly, but I'm pretty sure New England as a region, uh, is like 10% in that range, like harvest rate, success rate. And so I think if you go up to Northwestern Maine, where the deer population is, you know, one deer per square mile in some places, you know, it's even lower, but then as soon as you get that tracking snow, Dan, then your, your chances, uh, shoot up overnight when you can get good snow. And if it's quiet snow, like without a crust on it, or if it's enough snow to cover the, the, the crunchiness of the leaves that fell that fall, then your chances go up pretty high for that day, you know? Man. Oh, I'm like, I'm just like pumped. I want to get out and do this so bad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It sounds incredible. And I, I have very limited experience with like fresh snow tracking for anything. You know, I tried to do a mountain lion hunt in Utah, also very snow dependent. It's not impossible to dry ground them with dogs, but the, the guy that I went with my buddy, Dustin, he said, Hey, if we get a fresh snow, like say it starts snowing at sunset, the day before and we can get out the next morning the odds of us finding a good track are probably 95 percent. and if we find a good track the dogs are going to treat that cat and i'm like oh amazing i'm out there for the full week not a snowflake falls the entire time i'm out there and i'm like dang yeah. it and yeah. we got on some old tracks we got on some really cool tracks actually where we can watch the gps from the dogs where they're going um you know how they scatter out, they all come back together, they follow a track for a while, then they branch out, try to find it again. And so that was really cool, but very snow dependent, like you mentioned. I can't imagine that feeling when you're hiking and all of a sudden you go, boom, fresh track, like it's time to go. And it's definitely one of the most unique ways I've ever heard of whitetail hunting. I didn't know about it until maybe two years ago. I didn't even know that it was a thing. Oh, man. Dan, oh, you got you to gotta come do it, man. You got to come up. I'm all about it. I'm telling you, I'm making it happen this year. I'm going to come up there and I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to try yeah. to track down a deer and obviously yeah. trying to figure out the weather. It might be one of those things where instead of doing a family trip out of it, I might just have to fly up as soon as I see a snowstorm is coming because yeah. Yeah. otherwise, you know, taking the whole family up there and then sitting around while there's no snow, that might not right. be as fun. But when when you're doing lion hunting out in Utah, were you riding? Well, there's no snow, but would you be riding around in like a snowmobile or ATV looking for tracks and stuff? So we were riding. He's got like his uh, Toyota Tacoma all tricked out with a dog box in the back, and then yeah. basically we were just rolling down the roads like these pretty intense four by four trails, and just head out the window looking at the ground, trying yeah. to find any sign of a cat. And, you know, it, it made it even worse that it was freezing out. And so the ground was frozen. So even where there was dirt, you couldn't see fresh tracks. Yeah. Um, but that's all we were doing is just cruising, looking for tracks. Is that what you guys do when you first try to cut a track is ride around on side by sides <clears throat> or four wheelers or snowmobiles? 
Well, pretty much, uh, yeah, driving around in trucks and just regular vehicles because the logging roads up here are passable, you know, with your yeah. normal road truck. Um, there's people out in ATVs for sure. Uh, but uh, the woods up here in Maine and in northern New England is like that industrial kind of forest, you know, where it's like it's big woods and it's continuous forest, but it has, you know, dirt roads kind of meandering everywhere and dirt roads that are new that are kind of like main veins and then dirt roads that are like 40 years old and really grown in so depending on you know when they cut or when they logged that particular area so we have those to kind of branch out and to just be able to get places fast to get different to different areas of the woods that way yeah um and then you kind of you get out there early at dark and you just drive around slowly looking for a track that crosses the road and then if it gets so late in the morning that um, you don't see one in the vehicle on the roads, then, then typically people will get on foot and go to like an area where they, they know there's good sign or, or bet or, you know, areas where they've seen pockets of deer and stuff and just get in the woods and wait to cross one then. Okay. So, yeah, but yeah. you gotta be ready to put on like 10 miles, man. I'm all about it. I am yeah. all about it. I'll put in the work. That's the one thing I like to, I like the challenge. I like the physical challenge. And I was going to mention yeah. this earlier is like that, that has to be one of the most rewarding types of hunt once it's yeah. successful, because yeah. people are like, Oh man, I like when I just go out there and shoot something and I'm like, okay, but right. answer this, would you feel more accomplished if you went out there and worked for it and it took you five, six days and you actually successfully harvested a deer right. or does it sound better to go to a pond and, or to go to, you know, somebody's stocked private pond and just drop your line in and you catch a fish every single time. What's more rewarding? Like, yeah, that might be more action, but at the end of the day, you don't feel like you did anything when you go and catch all these farm fish. When you have to walk down a whitetail, I mean, there there can't be a whole lot of more accomplishing feelings than that. I, oh man, dude, I'm telling you, I'm so pumped for this. Like I, it's a primal way to hunt, Dan. Yeah. Gotta and be it, one of the most primal ways to hunt, you know? Yeah. Well, in, I mean, have you noticed that like primal progression in your own hunting journey so far? Um, or are you still kind of like, Hey, that I'm figuring it out. And then maybe eventually I'll, I don't even know if it's pro progressing to a more primal way. Like I see, I see people, they start with a rifle they then go to a bow. Yeah. And it's like, we just want to make it more and more difficult and more and more back to our roots. Right. Because it gets for people who are experienced, it gets less about the kill and more about the hunt for sure. And so we, I, yeah, I see that all the time and um, I'm getting into archery this year. Hopefully this, this fall, we're going to be getting bows or this spring getting bows so we can do that. Cause that'll be just extend our season that much more. But with the tracking, not so much. There's a lure to, in a, in a, there's just something about main rifle season, man, in November yep. that ah, there's just something about it to me that it has a, uh, I can, like, I can see if I did a Western hunt with an elk, uh, a rifle hunt, you know, and got a couple of them, did a couple trips out there and was able, lucky enough to get like two or three and be like, okay, I've been there, done that. Let's, let's focus on an early season archery, you know, elk, you know, yep. um, and really bump it up a notch. But I don't see myself doing that after 
a few successful tracking jobs. I feel like the tracking with a rifle in November will be something that I'll always do. Well, There's it's probably something about it. It's it's probably that culture up there too. Like it is the same way. I could go back to my my hunting property in Wisconsin that I've got access to, and I could go up there and archery hunt and probably have <clears throat> yeah. more success rattling in bucks. You know, trying to pattern them. Uh, even during the rut, you know, just having those encounters, they would they yeah. would probably increase. But there's something about the culture behind that nine day gun season, like gun deer season in Wisconsin is a religious that's holiday right. and yeah. it's hard to branch away from that. I always say that's one of the, that's one of the hunts that I won't miss throughout the year, no matter what other opportunities come up. Like I yeah. will be at the Wisconsin deer season. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's, it, it's cool to hear like nationwide, there's different hunts like that. Some of them have nothing to do with deer, although deer hunting makes up the majority of hunting in the United States. Um, but to see the different cultures and how they really gather around these specific hunts is pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's definitely in our culture up here in Maine, especially Northern Maine. Um, I, I wouldn't know it. I don't know that aspect of it. Cause again, I'm, I'm, I'm an adult onset hunter. Um, but it's de- that type style of hunting is pretty deeply embedded in, 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 uh, communities in, in, in Maine. And it's a very generational thing and, and tracking a deer in Maine is like that ultimate trophy. I'd say even yeah. more so almost than a moose, man, just cause the moose is a lot of luck with a lottery. It's like yep. the, the deer is something you can do every season with your, with your hunting license. Like you're given a butt buck tag, um, with your state, with your hunting license. So it's like, that's probably the biggest trophy we have in Maine, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. So, yeah, but imagine doing that for a moose. Imagine tracking a moose. That would be epic. That'd that be, would be epic. That'd be insane. Like, cause now you don't, not only are you tracking something, I mean, obviously a moose is a much bigger target. The other part of it, which might not be as rewarding, but maybe more exhilarating is that they're not scared of you. Or at least I yeah. mean, the moose that I've encountered, they, they couldn't care less. They're like, dude, I'm way yeah. bigger than you. I'm not worried mm-hmm. about you at all. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, come rut, it's like they get aggressive, man, and they will, they'll charge anything. I've heard stories yeah. of train conductors. They'll blow the whistle at a moose on the tracks during the rut, and it puts its head down and runs straight no way, into the man, front of the really? train. Yeah. Wow. They're, they're like, they're just not scared of anything. I mean, I've yeah. seen them attack vehicles. I've seen them push over trees, attack dogs. Yeah. Like they just don't have most places. They don't have natural predators anymore. They've done so right. many moose reintroductions, but not big predator introductions that they just have nothing to be afraid of. Going after an animal like that is so fun, man. To go on a moose hunt and know that you're hunting that that caliber of a of an animal is just that's what it's all about. That's super cool. Oh yeah. In Maine, unfortunately, the, the the moose season is not not super high chance of snow, oh, if okay. any. So it's it's before deer season. It's it's before whitetail season. It's in uh, September and October. And there's I think there's like a special cow moose hunt now. That's like the first week in November. Um, but it would be that would be another epic hunt to do on snow for sure. Now remind me, I I should know the answer to this. Putting in for moose moose preference points but 
with a moose, if you do get a moose tag, is it specific to a season? Like it has to be archery, muzzleloader, or rifle, or can you get like, does your moose tag cover the whole spectrum? Can you go out with any weapon? So there's two moose seasons in Maine now. There's two weeks. Each season is is a week, and uh, when you when you sign up to for the lottery to get drawn, you put your preference in zones. We call them uh, wildlife management districts or zones here in Maine. Okay. And I believe there's 27, 28 of them. I could don't hold me to that, but there's a couple of dozen um, different zones. And so you put your preference in, like, I want to hunt zone four for whatever reason, because you have a camp there or cabin or whatever. And then my next, my second pick would be zone eight. Um, and so you get, when you get, if you get chosen, you get chosen, uh, based on that preference of zones. Um, and then you get chosen for the first week or the second week. And typically this, from what I know, the second week is, is like more peak rut activity. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. They're wild animals, man. I feel like it'd be so cool. I think if I could do any slam, uh, yeah, you say that you say your moose hunts, the bucket list hunt for you, man. I've heard you say that a few times. It, well, I just like, I think it would be cool to hunt moose in different areas. You know, we've got the Shiris moose out in Colorado. Then you've got like the Alaskan moose or the Yukon moose or whatever the subspecies is up in Alaska and the Yukon of Canada. Um, and then out in Maine, what is it? Is it a Maine moose? Or Canadian is, moose, I believe. Oh, Canada is it Canadian? Moose? Okay. I believe so. I actually don't really know much about the different subspecies of yeah. moose. Yeah, I think it'd just be cool to have one of each. Like, and the meat from those is unbelievable, man. There's yeah, nothing better than wild moose meat. Yeah, it's high quality stuff. Yeah. So what yeah. what's next for you? I mean, what what do you hope to branch out and do this year? I know you mentioned getting a bow and starting yep. the archery thing, which just be warned you're going to be completely hooked from the get-go. it's yeah, that that told. archery takes hold of you in a different way i don't know what it is about it but there's something that you just have to be so fine-tuned and you really have to get in a rhythm of shooting and practicing and knowing where your anchor points are and going through that mental checklist before you release the arrow whereas yeah. like rifle i mean in a day or two, you could basically teach somebody to shoot a rifle long range and be yep. fairly accurate yep. with archery. I mean, you have to, it's muscle memory and you really have to get in that rhythm. So just be ready, man, be ready to be hooked. And I wouldn't be surprised if a couple of years from now, you're talking about tracking deer with a bow. Dan, it's already hard enough, man. I don't know if I would <laughs> track deer with a bow. You're like, this is probably going to get a few under my belt. Deer. Yeah. You don't need to I make mean, it any harder. And then we got muzzle loader. We have we have a week or two of muzzle loader too, depending on where you are in the state. And that's an added, that's an, you know, sh- shooting with a 50 cal, you know, musket is an is an added uh this is an added diff level of difficulty as it is. So going for a bow, I'd have to get really good. Yeah. Yeah. You it's know? It's wild. People do people do crazy stuff like that. I mean, there's people out there shooting bears with blowguns now. And yeah. The the level of difficulty, there's something intriguing about it. And I like I said, I think the challenge is just more rewarding once you actually Oh, it's, and is the physical that. challenge too, like you were saying, like you gotta be 
You can't be out of shape if you want to track a whitetail in New England or Maine. You can't. Uh, you got you have you can't be afraid of being out in the woods and being alone and maybe getting lost or having to spend a night out there. You know, you got to have your stuff together, uh, and you have to be in shape and, and, and you have to, uh, be willing to put in that physical effort and, and have the capacity to, to do it. And I think that's, for me, that's why I got hooked to it and yeah. why it's so special, but, um, it's not for everybody and that's okay. But, um, if you can do it and if, and if you have interest at all, it's like you said, I'll get hooked on the archery. You'd get hooked on that too. See, the adventure is so intriguing to me. Like you just said, you can't be afraid to get, you might get lost. You might have to stay the night out there. I'm like, dude, what? Think about just the, the memories and the stories that you would have walking away from. See, that's type two fun, Dan. A lot of people would think that's, you know, that's type two fun. It's the greatest form of fun. Yeah, that's right. That's the type of fun that you tell your grandkids about and like all your friends for the next generation. You know, that's, that's type two fun. See, I think there's even, I, I want to start a type three fun, which I feel like is the most accomplishing and rewarding, which is basically type two fun stretched out over a long period of time, completely unsuccessfully. And then all of a sudden it happens. So like <laughs> when you put in the work for an extended period of time, yeah. that is type three fun. And that's what I'm all, not that I want to be unsuccessful for years and years and years, right, but it just right, adds right. to it. You know, like you feel mm-hmm you feel like you've really done something. If, yeah. if the odds of shooting a deer, that method were 98%, it wouldn't be as intriguing or as like as big of a deal. But the fact that it's, you know, potentially 10% or less in, in the Northeast, yeah. Th- yeah, that's why it's such a good feeling when you can make it happen. Sure is. The answer to your question, what's next, uh, just ice fishing for the, for the rest of the winter. Uh, and man, we're, we, I get super psyched about turkeys. I yeah. know I've heard you on the podcast say that <laughs> you don't quite, uh, you're not, you don't quite understand the turkey fanatics, man, but I got hooked real fast on the, on the gobblers. Like I have a lot of fun with those. They're super frustrating. Come the end of when the end of May comes around, it's like, okay, I'm glad it's over. Cause almost they're just so frustrating in, in a lot of aspects but man i look forward to it it's a lot yeah. of fun for me so nice yeah turkey season's coming up it's pretty crazy that we're already it to is, that man. point in the year I and know. uh dude you'll have to come down man if you love chasing turkeys i've got plenty of them I've they heard. are they are everywhere down here and you'll i mean maybe we'll, we'll do it side by side i can't ever imagine being that excited about turkey i'm already hundred percent sold on tracking deer. So yeah. if that tells yeah. you anything, yeah. I, I want to yeah. make it happen. Yeah. We, yeah, we'll do that. We'll make it happen for sure. Well, man, I appreciate you hopping on and chatting with me. I want to give you an opportunity before we hop off. Where can people find you? Where can they follow along? Because it sounds like in a few years, you've really dove into why you're into hunting and what it means to you. And then yeah. obviously branching out to new adventures. I feel like that'd be a fun journey to follow along with. Yeah, man. So I'm on, uh, I'm on Instagram mainly, um, as, uh, Dr. Will Bartlett. And I believe the same thing, Dr. Will Bartlett on Facebook too. And then my practice website is, uh, new frontiers, Cairo, C-H-I-R-O.com. And, um, I'm located right here in, uh, Southern Maine in a small town called North Yarmouth, Maine. 
Um, that's where the office is. And uh, yeah, looking forward to a lot more uh, seasonal adventures, man. Ice yeah. fishing is right, right in the smack dab middle of it. So pretty fired up for that. Um, fired up for some cold weather. So look out for some, some, hopefully some, some big fish caught this year. Man, I'll be, I'll be living vicariously through your social media pages because here we get cold weather, no yeah. ice, no right. good ice fishing. The ice that we do get covers the trees and power lines and vehicles. Right. And right. then it like just makes it to where you can't really do anything outside. So, yeah. uh, I definitely, when I start seeing people posting ice fishing stuff, I'm like, dude, I wish I was out there. It's just so oh, fun man. and so unique. You think ice fishing is fun and you've never done it? No. Oh, I've done it a ton. I just can't here in Missouri. We don't have any ice fishing opportunities because right. the, the ice never gets thick enough, but oh, I always man. see like friends and family from Wisconsin posting ice fishing, or I'll talk to my brother-in-law and he's like, Oh dude, me and your sister just went out. We caught a ton of fish yesterday. And I'm just yeah. like, I wish I was up there doing it right now. Oh man. There's plenty of vacation opportunities for you and the family to come up here, man, and, and rent a shack for a few days and, and have a nice like cabin five-star stay, but get on the, get out on some good ice. That sounds, so you'll awesome. have to do that, man. You'll have yeah. to do that. Maine. Uh, I got a feeling we're going to love Maine. We haven't I been think up you there are too. yet, but I've heard a lot of people talk about it. In fact, a guy that we, we used to live on his property. That's his favorite place to, to travel to is Maine. And I'm like, really? Okay, cool, cool. And then, you know, the few people that I've talked to on the podcast, it's like, no, we're never leaving. There's no reason to. There's nothing right. better out there. This is the best. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I'm definitely not leaving. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. There you have it. Well, dude, thanks again, man. I appreciate you hopping on and uh, good luck. I'm going to, we'll, we'll keep in touch about how archery goes and how your seasons go. Yeah. All right, man. Thanks a lot, Dan. Thanks. And that is going to wrap it up for today's show. Man, what an awesome episode. I am on a different level of excitement for getting up to Maine and chasing down deer on foot. I mean, it. I say chasing down, like trailing deer, tracking deer, however you want to put it. I'm really excited. Now, I'm going to have to break the news with my wife somehow that we're going to Maine. And especially in the winter, like that might not go over so well, but... That's a conversation we're going to have to have because I have got to try a hunt like this. Maybe I send her and the kids to Florida or something like that while I head north. I think that would go over a lot better. But what what a unique way to do things. I mean, I know we talked about a lot more in this episode than just that, but I am, I'm going to be thinking about that style of hunting for a long time. And every time it comes up, I get excited about it again and again and again. And so hopefully, if you guys have done that, hopefully you found success with it. I know the, the probability of actually catch, catching a deer, or catching up to a deer, I should say not actually catching one, um, is pretty low, but I think that it could be the hunt of a lifetime when it actually comes together. And that's part of it, you know, when you struggle and it takes a long time and there's a lot of ups and downs and just years without actually getting a shot opportunity, when it does happen, it becomes so much sweeter. So hopefully you guys are having fun. Maybe you're out shed hunting. Maybe you're out doing some late season waterfowl or gearing up for the snow goose hunt. Whatever it is, I hope you're finding success. I hope you're going out there and trying new things. And until next time, always choose adventure and God bless.